Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the Nightingale Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Nightingale's transfer correspondent Graham Bailey, and Nightingale's Spurs man Sean Walsh is back on the podcast, fresh off the back of a late finish at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Monday night in possibly one of the maddest games of football I've seen in how long, Sean? Premier League history. <sighs> I think it's certainly the maddest that I've attended. There was just so much going on. Like, I think you could probably split that match up into eight or nine different acts of different things that were going on. My personal favourite was the period from 60 to 70 minutes where Spurs were playing like, the super aggressive high line. Like, you know on FIFA where you just spam the offside trap button and it just everyone just moved up the pitch and it was like that. And it was just a marvel to watch. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing before my eyes. But uh, fairly hard coming away from... A four-one defeat to Chelsea at the hands of Pochettino. I couldn't imagine that pretty much, but we live. Funny live. way the world works, isn't it? We it's so in. strange, isn't it? I've just completely. I don't know what the season's going to bring. Anything can happen. And the Spurs nearly nicked a draw at the end as well. So those are the sliding doors moments. Nearly, Chelsea could have also scored ten for me, Graham. Graham, what did you make of it? Yeah, um, it's fascinating. I think that. You know, he, I think that Ange played up to the audience a little bit. I think he did what the fans wanted, where I think he should have gone for the points. And I think if he had, he'd have got it. You know, <laughs> to allow Nicholas Jackson to score a hat trick, I, th- I think that that way he blazed it over the bar for his potential fourth. I think that summed up Nicholas Jackson more than his hat trick. <laughs> that, that that was the real Nicholas Jackson. Um, this is a balmy Premier League season, you know, the, the season where we've seen Eddie and Ketia and Nicholas Jackson, probably two of the worst strikers to claim Premier League hat tricks in Premier League history. Um it, it's amazing stuff. Um but yeah, I think that Ange um will he learn from that? I no, think he likes, no, I think he's no, I think he likes the adulation. I like I think he likes Ange Ball. I think he you know, I think the Spurs fans, in a strange way, were happy with that than playing out for a nil-nil one-all. I think they were happier with that. As you, I, I is that, that's is that the case, Sean? We, we were arguing about it off air. I don't think that if Spurs defend deep, I know Chelsea had this problem breaking down deep blocks, but I don't think Spurs could have played a coherent deep block with the personnel they had on the pitch. It kind of had to be squeeze some life out of it and hope that the chaos kind of falls back your way. Because that was the whole thing of the first half that, Chelsea managed to weather an early storm and eventually the chaos went their way. And I think that's the whole thing that Spurs were just hoping for. Put all of these ingredients in this pot and hopefully something mad happens. Like if Son finds the bottom corner with the last chance of Sanchez, if Dyer is a fraction onside rather than offside with, the, with that volley he had, which is never seen anything like that from him. Goodness me. Um, these are the fine margins. It just, just a football was a crazy game. And I think Postacoglu will probably stress it later that you know, this is still year one of the project. This is still only a few months in that he wanted to see, okay, what can we do with the way that we do want to play rather than the way that we would have to play? Because I think this, this is something that happens like quite a lot. When Pochettino was here, he had the same kind of idealist philosophy, but it wasn't until late in his later years that he learned, okay, how can we play without the ball? How do we grow into that like it is a long process to kind of get to that stage so I'm I'm still quite positive about it well Spurs wanting a new centre-back is top of the bill on this show today because Mickey van der Ven was uh, running backwards and popped his hamstring looked pretty bad um, and you think that might rule him out for a few weeks 
at the very least. Obviously, there's a transfer window coming up in just under two months' time. Will Tottenham dip back into that to sign a player or more? Uh, Spurs and Arsenal looking at some players from Salzburg. Chelsea, Conor Gallagher on the agenda as well. We have, as usual, a massive Man United section because they are the always somehow the, the story. Um, Casemiro, Varane, Bruno Fernandes, Kobe Manu, uh, Tadebo, City and Florian Wirtz we'll talk about and uh, Real and Alfonso Davis as well on the agenda today subscribe and all to all your subscribe on all your major podcast platforms and follow us on social media at double underscore scott saunders at graham bailey and at sean dz walsh at nightyman.com as at nightyman.com what am i talking about nightyman.com for all the latest from us nightyman.com forward slash talking transfers for all the latest transfer news and at nightyman underscore football for the social channels for us as well but let's revert back to tottenham Sean, you, you, it's fair to say, isn't it, that Spurs have uh, done well this season, but their squad has been quite thin. And now it seems like all in the, the course of about half an hour, everything that you possibly could not have wanted to happen, happened. James Madison got injured. Mickey van der Ven pulled his hammy. Um, Eric Dyer played some minutes. And, you know, Spurs are looking at... Longer term, I suppose, uh, bulking up their squad because the the depth isn't really there, and we'll see that tested in the next few weeks. But they they do want a centre back, don't they? They do, and I think it's going to become evident over the next few weeks why that is the case. Because you're right, I think Spurs had quite a bit of injury luck so far this season. They were able to play their strongest eleven pretty much every week to this point. The Van der Ven hamstring pull was quite an aggressive one. I'll be really surprised if he's back for 2024. How does Spurs survive till then? I think they've got to play Eric Dyer and, you know, hope for the best. But moving forward, yeah, they do want another centre-back. Um, Lloyd Kelly, still the kind of prominent name in these conversations, who Spurs tried for at the end of the summer window, couldn't quite get over the line. His contract is up next summer. Spurs aren't alone in that race. Other names, uh, Chelsea's Trevor Chalobah, who I actually quite like. I don't... I. I'd like. I think I'd like him more than the other ones. I think that he's someone that's quite undervalued in this market right now because I think ultimately he's played at the top level, and I don't think he's ever kind of, you know, like crapped his pants or anything. Basically, or anything like that. He's been fine. He's been good at the top level. Um, Tosin Adarabio still talked about as well at Fulham, not playing a lot there. And then the other one that Spurs have looked at was Uruguay's Sebastian Caceres, who's turning quite a few heads with his performances under Marcelo Bielsa. Just uh, let's touch on Kuti Romero a minute. Um, just going back to the game, obviously we talked about Spurs wanting a centre-back. I, I know I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying that Spurs would ever look to replace him, but do, Sean, does there come a point where you're like, stop doing that, mate? Like, <laughs> you, you know, seeing well, it we thought, we, tons of we times thought that, now. Yeah, well, yeah, we thought that we'd, we'd kind of, you know, turned a corner. We thought there was a lot of, um, think pieces about our oh, Van der Ven makes Romero karma and all this other stuff. And I think to for the most part that has been true. But at the same time, it's like I don't think you can take that kind of player out of him. And that, it does get annoying. It's like could you could Romero win the league as your best centre back? I don't know. But he did win the World Cup as Argentina's best centre back. So that you you can always kind of hang your hat on that. But uh, you're right, it gets a bit it gets a bit frustrating, but I think you've got to take the good with the bad. So I, I say a lot on 
um, our Spurs pod or what night podcast. I do think Romero has been quite underrated so far this season that he has done a lot of good that kind of gets overshadowed because he, he moves in a way. I, I describe him like a caveman and I think that, that extends to his tackling as well. But because people have this perception in their heads what he is like, they kind of overlook the good stuff that he does. But yeah, it's not a time to talk about that after he's a bit sent off 30 minutes into a London derby. Yeah, uh, Graham, any more to add there on uh, Tottenham's plans for you know, the the future months. We'll talk about the Salzburg players in a minute, but anything to add at centre-half? In terms of January, the 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 message coming from Tottenham, even before the Romero incident and Van der Veen, was always a centre-back. They wanted to come in. Um, maybe another forward. And then the midfield, because I came in, I, when I was asking the questions, um, when I was speaking to someone at Tottenham, I thought midfield would be something really high up, but it's seemingly maybe a one in one out if if Heiberg left maybe someone I think I think they may may have been thinking midfield something for the summer. Um obviously to have both Sa and Basuma missing the the AFCON. Um it's interesting why I don't know whether what Sean thinks, whether it, does he see is is Skip obviously going to step in along with Heiberg? Is there another one in there that I'm missing? Possibly. Benson goes back now. Yeah, so you've got them three. So you can see why um they are thinking, yeah, unless they got unless they allowed and obviously Skip and Benton Core aren't going. So Heiberg out, possibly. You can see why they're thinking actually. So the fair play to them. Um yeah, a centre back. And it, and it is a third choice centre back they're looking for. You know, they're not Van der Veen very happy with Romero. Yeah, still very happy with 25. Still arguably not at the peak of his powers yet, Romero. I still think he's a fabulous player. So you can see why they want that third centre half. And the, the problem with the, they got with Lloyd Kelly is apparently Bournemouth aren't willing to sell. So it wouldn't surprise me if they do move on to someone else. Um, but, you know, if someone knows a Premier League club in the market, there's a there's a tax there to be paid for any Premier League club. So interesting. But I I, I, I do think they'll bring a centre half in. Harry um, Maguire's having a great time at the moment. Can you imagine yeah, hey. that highlight last night? <laughs> <laughs> hey, go on, go on, go on. If, you, if you've got your picky United defenders, you go and go get go and get Varane do your job for six months, Sean. Well, if he could hamstring play more than one game, the way that that <laughs> in a row. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But yeah, it's been interesting to see where with whatever new Spurs go down. But um, yeah, I, I think it will be a centre half, and then Heiberg. That decision it made depends who comes in for Heiberg. And um, we saw it in the summer, you know, there was Fulham, Atletico Madrid. No one quite stepped up to the mark, but I think the Spurs would be willing to move him on if they got an acceptable offer. Uh, Sean, t- talk to me about the uh, Tottenham-Arsenal. Not tug of war, really. I don't think it's at that stage yet, but there's some Salzburg players. This is this is the place now to buy, you know, young up-and-coming players. We've seen a ton of them uh, in the recent past. Who are next on the agenda? Who are the next big names? If you play football manager, you probably know them. That's that's out now. Um, but yes, <laughs> indeed, yeah. there's, there's three on the list that I have, but Sean, I'll let you take it. Yes, so first up, uh, Lucas Gorner-Duath, who I believe he was up for... I believe he was up for the Golden Boy Award. I remember thinking about the rankings, and I think he was up for that. Um, very good technical midfielder. Oscar Gluck as well, who is an Israel international, teammates with Manuel Solomon. I've been kind of dazzled by some of his performances in. Did he sign for them in the summer? I think I think so. Yeah, I think he was linked right. to linked to the Premier League. Yeah, but he, he was. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, um, he's looked 
actually he's kind of someone that pops off the screen like you you could sit someone down who doesn't know a lot about football but they would watch and they'd be like oh that oscar gluck guy he was like one of the best players on the pitch right but that's the kind of player that he is and then cream canate as well but as you were saying scott i think this isn't a secret that salzburg are this talent factory um arsenal and spurs what salzburg won a two win two nil at the weekend um canate scored both the goals this it, this is just this is how the smart clubs operate now, and I think Arsenal and Spurs are starting to become two of the savvier clubs in the market. I think both clubs have had a lot of hits recently. You know, Kai Havertz withstanding, but this do you is, think this another is... forward? How how much is another forward, Scott? Um, sorry, Sean, another forward for Spurs. Do you think how likely do you think that is? Maybe what? Do you think very... it might be a Richarlison out, then one in, maybe same as in midfield. Yeah, it's probably a case of that, and I think. Spurs do have a lot of belief now in Alejo Valise as well, who they brought in in the summer. He's been kind of fast-tracked into the plans already. I think ideally they would like someone who could play wide as well. That seems to be my inclination, but I, I think they do have a lot of faith in Brendan Johnson at the same time. I think they're just looking for more, just more options that you can rotate. I think what the last few years have taught us is that the best teams like City and Liverpool, they have the, these so many different ways to hurt you. They can bring on so many different players. I think there was, a, there was a game recently, I think it was Liverpool, and they ended up with like all five of their forwards on the pitch and they scored a goal late on or something. And you're just like, well, obviously it's going to happen. They've got all of this quality. And I think now teams are starting to move in that direction with how many quality forwards can we really get on one team. Uh, Graham, is it is this a case now with the, the interest from these two Premier League clubs in Salzburg players that clubs are trying to catch them when they're at Salzburg before they join Leipzig? <laughs> Very much so, you know. They're, they're learning the lesson, aren't they? You know, before before they head to Dortmund or something, you're better off buying them. Well, Har- Harland's the classic case, right? You know, Dortmund yeah. picked up Harland, and then uh, Dortmund like only got sixty odd million for him transfer fee, right? But you know, they could have bought him for twenty. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the thing is, though, and, and but Salzburg are buying, are spending money on these players. I think it's. Um, going to dear sorry pronunciation. He he was an Austrian record. I think fifteen million he cost. So again, you already talk. They they they're, they're outlaying money Salzburg. So when they do spot these players, I think Sanetian he came from. Um, talk about a factory. People need to start going to Sanetian at Salzburg. The Fafana, Saliba, and now him. Um, he's an interesting. I think he of the three we've talked about. I know Glauk and Kanata get the headlines, but I think he's a really interesting one. You no know, defensive midfielder, very much someone who would fit in at Spot Tottenham and at Arsenal because they're looking for someone of that ilk. So I think he's an interesting one. Uh, just to touch on Arsenal briefly, we'll we'll talk Chelsea in a second. Um, Arsenal looking at defensive midfielders, Graham. We talked about we talked about Andre recently played in the mm. Copa Libertadores final. Just to round off on Arsenal, there. Why are they looking at a midfielder? The it seems to even when Rice came in, I I, I personally think it's because you know Thomas Partey they can't rely on. I think if Party was playing every game, and then they wouldn't have this conversation. I think Party's one who we know that Arsenal at the start of the summer said you can go, then they changed their mind. But with his injury record, it's not quite there. And, and the fact I've got to play Kai Havertz in midfield probably sums up why they need a midfielder. You know, Declan Rice, I was at Newcastle at the weekend, and he was fantastic, Declan Rice, for what he was able to do. But there was just no backup. Jorginho started well, but he's not quite there. I, I think there's. You do wonder why you say it's got why they need one, but when when you watch them, you think, yeah, you really do need mm-hmm. another one in there. As well as actually, Arsenal. We think of Arsenal as a finished product stuff. I'm desperate for a striker. I think not desperate for a midfield because then if a party was fit and Odegaard and Rice, that's a brilliant three. But party's not fit. 
So I think that's why they are. They, and Andre is one who they're looking at, Scott, the Fluminense, not captain, but he's a Fluminense star player. It led them to Copa Libertadores glory. And, and, and they are still in for him now. So I think, but they are looking around Europe now for these midfielders. There's plenty of them. So yeah, I think Arsenal might do business in January. Um, but yeah, I think it's partly, mainly because it's party injury, Scott. Uh, they just can't rely on him. You know, they can't get more than a dozen games out of him a season. And he is good when he plays, but he's just not good enough. And, is Jorginho Havertz coming in good enough for Arsenal to win the league? I don't think so. Obviously, Arsenal strikers is another topic for another day. Uh, potentially goalkeepers as well, because uh, we've obviously since since we last did a podcast we had the fallout about the goal uh, that ah, was yes. at Newcastle. This kind of thing. Oh, we got um, Sean on to talk about how bad David Rea is. Yeah. Oh. yeah, every every day I log onto Twitter and it's a new Arsenal fan <laughs> abusing me about what I've said about David Rea in the past. He didn't cover himself in glory there, but my, my rating of two, for him, my rating of two sums it up. I think he got away with murder. At the weekend he did, well. yeah, he's got massive because no, no, nobody, nobody was talking about him in the press conference. Where afterwards, obviously, Michael Arteta came in and it was like, like it was a great press conference. It was one of those. Um, I was there for Rafa Benitez when he went on his. He came in and like he started, he started going off it, and everyone started looking around. Is, is, did he just say what we think he said there? And then he, he went, he went, yeah, he did. <laughs> it was, uh, we, and then they doubled down with a statement the next day. Let, let's let's, let's, let's actually yeah. get in this direction. We'll come back to Chelsea. I, I do want to, but th- yeah, since this has been such yeah. a, a massive topic, and Graham was there obviously for the for the post match. <clears throat> where do we sit on this? Like. Well, I'm talking to a Tottenham fan here, but you know, where do, where do we sit on this? Graham, I'll come to you first because Arteta made a pointed statement. Disgrace was the word used, and then Arsenal doubled down on that with an unacceptable refereeing decisions statement, literally on their website statement and on social media. Um, this is divided opinion, really, about the standard of refereeing. This kind of thing. Where do you sit on it? I like Arsenal back in there, man. I think I like Arteta coming out and saying that. I think it's embarrassing. If you're going to come out and slag it off, do a proper job of it. And he did. Yeah, yeah. There was no sitting on the fence there. There was no Eddie Howe. I haven't seen it extra. Do a little cheeky smile on his face. Oh, he must have been. He must have seen the replays. I haven't seen it. Yeah, you don't watch the replays if you don't want to see them. Um, I, I I thought he was completely well within his rights. I thought the Andy Madley, the third official, Newcastle fans were screaming, shouting. I thought the Havertz one was a 50-50, possible red. I don't think it was, personally. I think it was a it was a nasty challenge, but I don't think he caught him outright. I don't think it was a red. But Bruno, how, Bruno as you know, guys, one of my favourite players, how he didn't get a red arm, red card for that forearm smash on Jorginho. I thought it was one way it looked, it didn't look as bad in slow motion. In real time, you can really see the force in which he hit him. How Andy Madley has looked at that and, and thought, that's fine for Premier League football, okay. But then that the goal, yeah, the goal line technology, we know we can't give. There's a curvature of the ball, which is so annoying, we can't tell. But then the, the push from Joe Linton, the even possible offside, I don't see how the goal stood. So, And and, and I, t- I think Arteta is right, you know, that's it, the way City and Arsenal are going. It could come down to a point at the end of the season. It really could. And that could be a huge momentum shift there. I think I, I think I think Arteta was right. I think it was disgraceful. And um Andy Madley should have to come out and explain himself. How he got I think he got he had four VR decisions that he gave all four to Newcastle. The goal line one no, but I think he got the other three wrong massively. Sean Ange came out after the game last night and said people should stop talking about referees because it's a really difficult job for them. Uh <laughs> what do you think? Um I agree. I think Gumarashka got sent off. I think that was quite 
obvious. I think my main problem from the Newcastle game was that the ref, Stuart Atwell, who always seems to find himself in these situations, just had no control over the game whatsoever. It was just mm. this kind of cauldron and he had no way of calming the players down and maintaining order. I think kind of Ange alluded to that. That's what he was talking about when he was in his post-match press. where he was like, you know, he, referees used to be feared, they used to have the control and now they don't. And now it's about a guy sitting in Stockley Park 100 miles away. And that was just the whole feeling from that Newcastle-Arsenal game. I think Arsenal actually got away with a really poor performance that they've kind of been able to, you know, put the hat on. We were aggrieved by VAR and the refs. And I think I think it probably is a foul on Gabriel as well. So I understand why they're aggrieved. But at the same time, I came away from watching that match thinking, wow, neither side deserve any points here. They should both <laughs> leave with zero. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal got away with that. And Arsenal have put in a number of poor performances for several months. And I think this is just kind of masking what's going on. So... Hundred percent right on the games, on the games going. You're hundred percent right. When I was sat there, and then we saw the first shot on target after forty-seven minutes, I was like, "Was that the first shot on target?" Yeah, it was a a really, it wasn't a great game. Very bad. Yeah, yeah. So Uh, I think Arsenal have been able to kind of deflect away from their own shortcomings with this quite conveniently. I'm not saying there's like experience or anything, but I just... And I, did, I said, I think David Rea being the, being the main one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Arteta exactly. didn't get a single question about David Rea at the press conference. That's how much yeah. he got away with it. Expertly done by Arteta, you, you could say. Um, the, the issue for me is if you're putting out a statement about something that is subjective and not factual, then I, I, I that's not for me. The Liverpool one, I didn't like the statement really, but I could at least understand it because it was incompetence. These are subjective decisions and Arsenal have, uh, in my opinion, used it to try and swing an advantage in their direction. But anyway, uh, let's drift back to the winners. Uh, the on... You're going to be a very brave VR man to give much against Arsenal for the rest of the season, aren't you? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I think they know that. was their favour in the next few weeks, didn't they, after the... Yeah, yeah 100%, yeah. So I, I feel like that's calculated to me, anyway. Uh, Chelsea were the beneficiaries of the VAR decisions on Monday night. We've obviously talked about them winning that game 4-1. Nick Jackson isn't on the agenda today, but it's a big talking point from that. I think he had a player of the match as well. Um, Graham, we were talking all summer, really, though, about how they wanted to remodel their midfield, and they've signed Enzo Fernandez in January, and they've signed Moises Caicedo, both for over £100 million plus. plus. Romeo but Lavia. Romeo Lavia as well, who we haven't seen and I, I've forgotten about. Um, but there is one player in there that we were talking about potentially leaving Chelsea in the summer. Mm-hmm. Conor Gallagher. He's playing all the time, though. Uh, what, what's the plan? Yeah, the ball is almost really in Gallagher's court because there's Chelsea saying to him, look, you need to sign this new contract. It's getting towards the same similar situation with Mason Mount. He's out of contract in 2025. So he's got basically 18 months left, Gallagher. And you know Chelsea are not going to let players run down the contracts. And, and they're saying to him now, saying, look, basically, I think Poch alluded to this at his press conference, you're showing an awful lot of faith in Gallagher. Not just handing the captain's armband, he's getting a lot of playing time even when all these players are available. And they're saying to him now, look, we've shown you like this, uh, where you are in our plans, our thoughts, you're a key member of the squad, and, and they want him to sign a new deal. Um, it's our understanding that they'll try to accelerate it during the next international break yet another one in November with the hope that it doesn't get to January. You know, they don't want to spend another window seeing being linked to Tottenham, West Ham, etc. Um, if he does, if he rejects this new offer, so that was a, 
I'm not sure whether he'd leave in January, but he will he will end up leaving the club because Chelsea won't put up with it. So um, they're not agitated, they're not annoyed at this moment in time. But if he rejects this latest round of talks, it'll start to get interesting. But I think he'll I think he'll sign. He'll commit to Chelsea. Who's going to give him more playing time than Chelsea? Giving him at the moment, he's got captain's armband. He's playing for England, which I think is key as well. Do you know, it's everything's. I don't see why Gallagher. I think he'd be hugely badly advised if he doesn't sign this deal. Personally, yeah, we'll see how that pans out. We know that we've talked about Newcastle in the past, and obviously they've got a Sandra Tonali-sized hole. But we've addressed uh, their difficulties with FFP in recent episodes, so you know that might be difficult to pull off. Um, but yeah, uh, I would expect that to happen. To be honest, I'd expect him to resign. Do you Chelsea... think? He look, do you think it's got? He's looking at the uh, Mason Mount struggles at Old Trafford and thinking it, these things aren't. It's not always greener on the other side, is it? Well, if Mason Matt had chosen Liverpool, I think he'd been fine, to be honest. Um, and he... what did you say? You wished he'd chosen Liverpool? No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just saying we're, we're only 10, 10 weeks into the season, so things can change. Uh, but anyway, let's talk okay, about uh, and one thing as well on FFPFA. I've been told, been told someone in the game we have to start calling it profit and sustainability rather than FFP, apparently. So FFP is dead. Yeah, apparently the apparently clubs call it profit and sustainability now. Which I That's don't. not fun. No, it's not a fun. PNS doesn't doesn't work, does it? PNS. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep going. FFP. It's better, isn't it? PNS. It is nowadays. Let's talk about United because you just mentioned them there. We we have a lot to get through. We'll talk. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions. Same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. About profit and sustainability, Man United. Mm. Good, good, nice segue there, Scott. The, the absolute, not, <laughs> not the example of profit and sustainability, really. <laughs> Uh, but Graham, where are we on the takeover? Because the, the 25% ownership point, um, and Jim Ratcliffe is obviously wanting to push this through. Uh, there are people that should likely come in with him. Paul Mitchell is tipped or likely to be the, the new sporting director or of similar title and role. Um, but how far off are we in in, in your view? They they're trying to get it done as soon as they can. As we know with these multi million pound deals, Scott, there's a lot of things to be lots of T's across, lots of I's to dot. There's things like, you know, the what purport when can Sir Jim make um make a move for the overall bid and stuff like that. There's lots it's this this deal is actually, I was told, a bit more convoluted than than the overall takeover because you're having to put in these lots of 
um extracts in the contracts little bits here little bits there when does it kick in is the bonus it, it's quite complicated it really is but the chat get it done as soon as possible they're hoping to have this football new football department in in by january scott which will be sir dave brailsford who's sort of going to be He's already, from my understanding, our understanding, Scott, isn't it? He's already looking into this. He's doing invest, not investigating, but he's seeing what the issues are, so that they can hit the ground running when they come in. You know, we expect Jean Claude Blanc to come in, maybe in the chief executive sort of role, a bit more commercial, but someone with a sporting knowledge. He's already at Ineos, the former PSG man. And I say Paul Mitchell is currently the sporting director elect. Really, he knows Sir Jim. I think Sir Jim trusts him, um, and then Sir Jim will be a part of this as well. They're not quite ready to go with that, but I think it, you know they are making plans. They're making, they're doing as much as they can. It's like, it's like when you don't really own a house, how much work can you do on it? It's like so they're getting stuff ready. They're starting to doing bits and pieces. Um, they're hoping from what, what date we are now by Christmas is what I'm told. They're hoping that at the very least they'll be on the ground and you're also being at Old Trafford running the football department. Uh, maybe not the appointments by that point, but hope to be in there. Um, so Christmas, New Year, that's what we're looking at for this to be really active, Scott. But I think in the build up to that, we will see other things coming about. So, uh, there we have that. It would be nice. Well, I, I say nice, it's gone on way too long, but November 22nd, it would be a year to the day, and we're just a couple of weeks away from that. So, you know, uh, fingers crossed it's done soon because I'm absolutely sick to death of it. I don't know about you guys. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about transfers because United love transfers, don't they? Uh, Monaco is uh, Paul Mitchell's former stomping ground, hunting ground, potentially in this case. Although, Graham, there are two players on their agenda, as we've reported on 90min.com as you're listening to this, that not necessarily driven by Paul Mitchell, but are on United's transfer target list anyway. There, at least there's some interest there, let's say. Yeah, these two players have been anyway. We're talking Yusuf Fafana and Vanderson. Vanderson, who is um, someone who actually Sean, ironically, the third member of this team today, has, has written a lot about. Favorite. Yeah, Vanderson, who has come on leaps and bounds. So fair play to the guys at Brentford who did spot him initially. I'm sure that's no comfort to, comfort to them that they spotted Vanderson and almost got him before Monaco and Paul Mitchell swooped in to get him. Vanderson now regarded, I speak to a lot of scouts in Europe, he, he's the right back in Europe at the moment. He's flavour of the month. He's on Real Madrid's list. He is on Manchester United's list. Manchester United have got an interesting... A few decisions to make. The Martin Martial, obviously, we probably know that one isn't happening, Scott, in terms of the options. Lindelof and Wan Bissaka are really interesting. You know, do you take up Wan Bissaka's year option? To, to what end? No, no one's going to buy him anyway. So, what, what's the point in keeping him? What value is sustaining there? I think that's the conversation that United are having, and this football department will as well. And and I think I wouldn't be surprised. And it seems this way that the the move for a right back, you know, Dallow's under contract, but they do need another right back. It's no surprise to me that Vanderson is in United sights. You know, it won't be an easy to get him, but you know, with Paul Mitchell's contacts, Sir Jim in Mon- Monte Carlo, that's where he's based. Be interesting. And the other one is Yusuf Fafana, a wonderful midfielder, Scott. I, re- I really like Fafana. He was one who West Ham looked at closely. He's technically out of contract in the summer, but I believe the option's already basically been told that it's happening. Um, so, yeah, midfield, again, still not still not started in midfield, Scott. You know only too well. It's an interesting one. And Obviously, we does that impact on the future of, of others there? And we're not thinking McTominay, etc. Scott, we're thinking more Casemiro, maybe. Well, let's uh, talk about Fan that because yeah. obviously, um, 
it worked last season, but I think everybody knew that at some point, probably quite soon, we'd come to the point where that deal would have looked a little bit erratic. I mean, I think I was one of the people criticizing it at the time. They've panicked again. And ultimately the panic did, um, it was fixed short term. Uh, but we, we come to a point now where you've put Casemiro on a, one of the biggest wages at the club. They've, Real Madrid have completely revamped their entire midfield with a bunch of 21, 20, 19-year-olds, and they're fixed for 10, 15 years now if they keep all those players. Um, Sean, do you think Casemiro is is done? I'm hesitant when it comes to players that are that good. And he, and he was that good last season. He actually was pretty decent. But I can't remember if I've said this on here before. But I, w- I think I was on annual leave at the time that United sw- first swooped in for Casemiro and then signed him. I didn't realise until six, seven months down the line that he went for 70 mil in that range. I, I always thought it was a cut price deal and that was why United were able to get him. I didn't realise that, that was such a huge outlay and now it really does make you wince. It's like, ooh, for one season, you know, and then you got to buy another one. You know, the whole thing was for years it's been United have a lot of midfielders who can play as number eight, but not really as number six. And now you, you kind of need another one. So I wouldn't write off Casemiro, but... I. Maybe wrap him in cotton wool, but maybe break glass in case of emergency stage of his career. Well, uh, Casemiro is, I think he's only 31-ish or whatever. So technically he shouldn't be right at the end. But Graham, there is a... Uh, we'll talk about Casemiro first, really, because we talk, we're talking about Fofana there. And you beg mm-hmm. the question, it begs the question, really, like, do you really need another defensive midfielder if you've got Casemiro and Amrabat, who is only in on loan currently? But... And it's not going, he's not, it's not, he started brilliantly either. But why would they be looking at another person in that position? Does that suggest that maybe Casemiro is going to leave at some point? Yeah, it's our information, Scott. I think he is, he is of interest to the Saudi Pro League. And, and, you know, we, we talked off pod, you know, it's, it's one of those deals where I'm sure I'm told United are not shopping him around. But suddenly, if someone in the Pro League comes into United and says, there's your money back. And we'll take his contract. It's a bit like the Fabinho and Henderson situations at Liverpool. You know, they they weren't shopping them around. But when someone comes and puts those sort of deals on the table, it's going to be very hard to refuse. So I think that's where we are with Casemiro. And he turns, what, 32 in February, I think he does. So it's an interesting one. I I think if, if the Pro League come in January, and we know they do like him, I think, especially with if, 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 if Mitchell isn't, in place by that point or someone of his ilk, they're not turning down that deal. Well, Graham, we already know the United are on the profit and sustainability uh, (laughs) tightrope. So getting their money back for a player like that, especially if it's 70 odd million, that is absolutely massive. It is. It's huge. And I think to, 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 to wipe your feet on a player that you play, that you overpassed, as Sean said, you really did overpay for him. And it's not just the overall, it's, it's the size of his contract as well, Scott. So the overall deal is massive, overpaid in every which way. So, yeah, I, I, we're seeing a lot of links, like to Varane, who I'm told isn't particularly on, isn't doesn't particularly want to move to Saudi at this point in time. And obviously, we're seeing the Martial link. But Casemiro really is an interesting one. I think that would be a real, um, I think, a statement sale, if, if that's a term. You know, I think moving on from him would be saying, look, thanks for everything we've done, but 
we need to restart the rebuild. And I think the rebuild does need to come in the midfield. It sounds strange when you spent so much money in the last 18 months on the midfield. But well, Graham, it's, like, it's not quite United right. There, have, United's balance in the midfield. You look at Chelsea now, they've just spent 100 million on Moises Caicedo, who can do everything. Uh, Arsenal spent 100 million on Declan Rice, who can do everything. And United have a bunch of players who either are technically quite good, like Christian Eriksen, who can't run, or you have players who can't run who aren't technically that good. So like, there's not really one player in there. Maybe outside of... I think they, they're drawing a pathway for, for Kobe Manu, who we'll talk about in a second. And I think he needs to be uh, evolved into this team to see if he's good enough to do it. Uh, but th- the balance isn't there, really, is it? No, and that's and, that, and that's the whole point of a Mitchell or someone of his ilk is that you're bringing someone in to then find these these gems abroad. And obviously, when we say for Fana in, in, in terms of being a bargain, yeah, he's only going to be 30, 40 million, but it, that's the market that you might have to go down rather than... And, and to be fair, United should start looking at that market. They're spending, they're spending more than that on most players and most of them are not being successful. So why not... You need to build a player up, and if you are going to go down that avenue, someone like Mitchell is the ideal man to oversee that. So, but yeah, if you were going to go for someone like Fafana, he's he's a gem. He's a he's a fantastic young player. Not I'll send you the 24. list of I'll send you the list of Paul Mitchell signings of Spurs later, Scott. I'll give you a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he did sign Son though, didn't he? He did yeah. sign Son. That was, his, that was his crowning glory, really. He didn't sign Fafana. He's actually Fafana arrived a few months before his time at Monaco, but he did sign Vanderson, Paul Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, just going back to the midfield, like, uh, even the example of Tottenham have been top of the league, but even the example of how Tottenham's midfield currently, you have <coughs> Papsar and you have Bissouma, who are really prototypes of what you need in your midfield nowadays <laughs> in terms of energy, technical ability, intelligence, th- this kind of thing. And you know, I don't have any of them, you know? And Spurs didn't spend a lot on that midfield either. You think so? Basuma is twenty-five mil. I think Saar was around quite cheap as well. Madison himself, you know, that was the marquee signing. Even that was forty mil. So there's value for money there. You don't necessarily need to spend a hundred million every single time nope. if you can search in the right places. But Graham, let's just revert back to Saudi. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do Saudi first because Bruno Fernandez, Graham, mm. captain. Uh, criticised often, sometimes, well, most of the time, rightly so, I would say. Um, is he on the agenda for Saudi Arabia as well? Yeah, um, he is, Scott. He's, from our, again, understanding, the strong Portuguese links um, with Saudi, you know, Cristiano set the blizz, the, the path for everyone to Saudi. And what is Bruno? Is he 29 now, Scott, Bruno? Which I was staggered at. I didn't, I didn't realize he was that old, but everyone obviously that was that was part of the question marks of the United signing. He wasn't 20, 25, 26 before he moved, left Sporting, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he and and you know, Casemiro and Bruno, if you're building for the future, talking about both of them in one go, it, it does make some sense. You know, Bruno is one of the worst Manchester United captains I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know whether I'm just a bad luck time. Whenever I see him live, I've seen him live about at least half a dozen times, always in big games. He's awful. He's dreadful. If he put as much effort into arguing with the officials as he does in the game, he'd be much better off. But um, it's weird because we didn't, then by the same argument, I see him play for Portugal. He looks a different player. But I've always thought he was not quite that level. Um, for United captain especially. 
Yeah, for me, so you know what? I, I think if I were, I, and not what I'm hearing, but my gut feeling is there might be a bit of a clearing of the house at Old Trafford. And it not just came to literally clean the gutters out, but I think it may some of these key players, like a Bruno, like a Casemiro, yeah, Sancho. Let's move on. Well, Graham, I said on another podcast this morning that I would prefer to see every player leave before the manager currently because I'm I'm absolutely sick of it. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that yeah. ten hundred. And, that, and that's how that's how we're understanding isn't it with Sir Jim we've been told Scott all along from sources we've been told that Sir Jim likes the Ten Hag approach he's not going to interfere that much but he will be giving his opinions and we think it is along the lines of what you're saying Scott I can imagine Sean is uh, having a little chuckle at that in his mind uh, but <laughs> I, I, I'm very critical of Ten Hag but I agree that he should he should at least have the season without kind of question yeah um, and he is like I, I think for me that there are issues with Things like United's wage structure, the, the the profiles of players that they've been buying for ten years, this this kind of thing, that inevitably lead lead to every manager failing because the players are often bigger than the manager is. They are, and they feel like their their profile is bigger and that they warrant and they're able to out outstay managers. This kind of thing, and unfortunately, that needs to be addressed. And what if it if it's a Ratcliffe, uh, Blanc, Mitchell-driven decision where they do remove the manager, then, and it's to correct an overall culture and start again. Then I've not really got an issue with that. But at the same time, currently, what are you going to do? Sack another manager and go through the same phase you've gone through five five times before? Anyway, um, let's talk about Kobe Graham. There was some links with Man City the other day. Mm. Man United's. Not golden, maybe maybe golden boy, new golden boy potentially. A lot of hype around him, a lot of hope. Uh, does seem to, f- if he can potentially develop, he might be the prototype midfielder that I've just talked about. United not having, there's a lot of pressure to put on them, but people talk highly about him, and I think he would have played a lot this season if he wasn't injured. But uh, Man City wanted him, Graham. Yeah, to be fair to both clubs, they both talk. Taught- played this down I think don't get me wrong if if United made Manu available Man City would be knocking the door down but you know this is a player City have literally tried to sign since he was nine year old um, he's never shown a, any willingness to move across to the City um, luckily for United he's been committed to the club and always will be you know it's, it's one of those where City uh, uh, yeah of course we like him and if he was available we would but we haven't, haven't made any efforts behind the scenes um, it was a bit of a mystery as to, to which clubs, where this came from, and I understand the player as well. He's more than happy at United. There's not much um, into this. Yes, technically, City do like him and would sign him, but he's not moving. One more topic on United. Uh, Tadebo from Nice. Uh, they want him in the summer. Naturally, that one's going to come up again because of who's looking to take over the sporting operation. He plays for Nice. Jim Ratcliffe owns Nice. <laughs> two and two equals Tadebo. It's a nice link, isn't it? Um, yeah, but the problem is, um, I, I don't think Ratcliffe would want that. I don't think there's any chance of maybe Nice becoming a feeder club. I'm not sure that or a sister club, as it would be in the multi club ownership world that we're in. But the problem, um, that Tadebo has got, um, any chance of he's got to move in January, um, are going to be scuppered by the fact Nice are top of league earn at the moment, remarkably. Wonderful. Ratcliffe has no idea what he's doing. 
yeah, um, you know, they're a very defensive unit. You know, only four goals conceded all season. Remarkable effort so far from these. So basically, Nice is saying, look, to see, but you can go in 2024, but if we're in Champions League contention, we're not going to sell you in January, which goes for all the Nice players who, who are performing well, but Tadebo being the main one. Um, and would United be looking at a centre-half in January? I'm not so sure, Scott. And even if it didn't take up Lindelof's option, I don't think a centre-half in January with Evans in there as well. I don't think, not that it isn't needed, because obviously Tadebo would come in and be great. However, I think it's more for the summer. And Nice, as it stands, have told him, you can go, but not until the summer. We talked about Antonio Silva in the past and this Scalvini links over the last few days as well, which, uh, you know, mm. these kinds of players. But um, yeah, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm done with talking about United. Let's move on to City. Uh, Florian Verts is the latest name on their agenda, according to 90min.com, Graham. Yeah, he's not the latest. Now we've we've linked, we've wrote, written about Verts. Well, it just so long, happens long to be time. that. Yeah, they you know, watched him. They what? They they went over and watched him, Scott. Um, I presume they weren't watching Vout Veghorst, um, not to mention our little competition there. They went, they'll have seen the Vout Veghorst goal, which is quite unusual. The Man City scouts who were in attendance at the Hoffenheim game, they saw Leverkusen win 3 2. Wonderful team to watch. I'm surprised that everyone's watching Zabilonzo's team at the minute, they're doing so well. Um, Vert um, was on target in that game, he's a player we know that, that Pep Guardiola loves. He had that injury, was it 18 months ago? The big injury he had. And so the bit they were following before that, seeing him recovery from injury, he's now one of the best players in the Bundesliga again. And yet, um, keep an eye on Verts. I think he's he's a perfect player for City. We've seen that they want this type of someone who can play all over number 10 a little bit, so Lucas Paqueta type thing. So it's no surprise we're watching him at the weekend. And um, yeah, um, I, we do know Verts was the main reason for their attendance. But obviously, when you're watching by Leverkusen, there's an awful lot of players in that team who you'll also be paying attention to. But Verts was the main point of interest for City when they were in Hoffenheim. City always got their fingers on the pulse, uh, looking at you know the next hot uh, prospect to come out of whichever league it is, really. Jeremy Doku is the, the latest one who... Sure, he's never really had massive numbers, has he? Behind like goals and assists numbers, and that's been a criticism of him. But then he goes and he scored one and assist four against Bournemouth. It's a good start. Yeah, I think the other thing as well, he has quite a bad injury record. So I think City probably saw it as worth a pump because I was talking earlier about the kind of attacking options that you can just rotate. You know, Pep Guardiola is the king of that FPL roulette and all that stuff. So worst weekend in FPL I've ever had. Yeah, imagine how many people are buying. Imagine how many people. <laughs> how many people are buying Doku this week? He, I, I haven't looked at the stats, but I imagine he is because I, I saw a horrific stat that Enketia was the most signed player after his hat trick against Sheffield United. But I imagine Doku is the most. Just wait for him player. to be on the bench at Chelsea. Don't worry, he'd be on the bench probably. Anyway, sorry, Sean. Uh, no, 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 just just saying oh. that the, that's the kind you you need like loads of attacking options, and that is. It's fine. They they don't have to run him into the ground. It gives Grealish a bit of time off because I don't. I just, can we can we debate this? Because I got quite a bit of pushback on this the other day. I still don't believe that Grealish was worth the hundred mil that City paid. And people come back to me like, yeah, the, the, the trouble they won was so not worth it. It's like that's not the point. They could like anyone could have they could have signed some twenty mil winger and, and done what Grealish well, I, did I, last season. I, I agree with you. I think. 
I, I don't agree with that necessarily. I think Grealish played did it did a role. I think yeah, hundred who is worth a hundred million these days, you know what I mean? It's it's one of those. Um I think Grealish was a good signing. I think he fitted that squad. I think he helped massively. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say he was worth a hundred, but I think he was a worthwhile signing. I think Doku was an interesting one because I've been hypercritical of City selling Mares. I thought that was a huge mistake. But I think it's the first time at the weekend where we're saying, yeah, actually Doku could replace Maris. I didn't think he could until until now. So um, my evidence that Pep knows more than me. <laughs> uh, no, I see where you're coming from there, Sean. Um, but the unfortunately, City win all the time, so it's not really that much of a an issue, really, is it? You can put a hundred million player on the bench, knowing they're going to win the treble anyway. You and know? to them, they're doing all this, City are doing all this without their best player, which is frightening. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. It's, it's Good news. Very... That's a, yeah, great news. Fair play to Manchester City. Uh, fair, fair play. Uh, anyway, let's move, let's move on. Uh, last topic of the show. Alfonso Davis is wanted by Real Madrid, Graham. And we talked about Vanderson wanted by Madrid already for the right side. One of the names. But is Alfonso Davis the name? for their left side. Yeah, you know, we're getting used to these type of deals now that, that Real Madrid are becoming very good at. You know, Perez, um, he learnt a lot off Sarx Ferguson in terms of building that colossus of a club and the way, the way they act on and off the pitch. They've been lining up Davis, as our understanding, for, for quite a while now and, and they've targeted him for next summer. Um, and, and, and Bayern Munich think this is... They're not quite in PSG territory of accusing them of anything, but they suspect that this deal, not agreed or anything, but they suspect that Davis knows that Madrid are coming for him in the summer. He'll only have a year left on his contract to buy him by that point. So perfect manoeuvring by Real. And yeah, obviously um, a squad like Real, um, desperately in need of additions, not. But Alfonso Davis will fit into that team like a hand in a glove. I thought, can you imagine that team? Amazing. Um, but already getting Endrick next summer, who is blowing up the Brazilian league at the minute. He's performing brilliantly. Just got a Brazil uh, call-up. Mm-hmm. Oh, did he? Brilliant. Yeah, and then, the, call up. And then yeah. they, might, they might just sign a little free agent like Mbappe in the summer as well. So um, if we get Davis, Mbappe and Hendrik, um, wouldn't be a bad little summer, would it? Vanderson, Antonio Silva, potentially. Well, I think, they, they think Danny Cavajal, who's apparently, he, he's, um, he's, he's on a... I read, I read up he's on a gluten-free diet now and his fitness is better than it's ever been they, they think they can get another another at least another year out of him so i think i think a right back might be one for the january after or the summer after or if vanderson comes up they might have to do it but um yeah they, they know what they're doing you know madrid they really do and i think the the davis will come in for it won't cost an awful lot of money to get davis next summer but you can imagine him in that side and just talk of Valverde being converted to a wing back and stuff, and it's um it's a, it's a mouthwatering prospect. That's it for us, I think. Uh, get in touch with us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Graham Bailey, and at Sean DZ Walsh. This has been Talking Transfers, and uh, subscribe on all your major podcast platforms: Spotify, Apple, uh, 
Google Podcasts, I believe, is the other one. Nightyman.com. Not, not Google, Scott. Google are cancelling their podcast, aren't they? They're, what? They're coming, out, they're coming out the market. I'm sure I did an email about that. Day, yeah, Google Podcasts. I will apologise and correct myself in next edition. That's true, but Google are no longer going to be doing podcasts from next year, I think. Well, until next year, you can get us yes. on podcast, but you might need to change your provider. Spotify and Apple are the ones that I, I use, so maybe follow suit. Nightmin.com for all the latest from us. Nightmin.com forward slash talking transfers for all the latest transfer news. And at Nightmin underscore football for everything that we do. Give us a follow on all those. Uh, thanks to Graham. And thanks to Sean for today's show. That's a wrap from us. I've been Scott. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon for another Talking Transfers.